Hey, welcome to the podcast, More Than Bread. This is episode number nine of our series for Lent. The overarching theme of this series is preparing for more, preparing for more. Lent is a season of preparation from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Not counting Sundays, it's it's about 40 days. And, and in a sense, it gets its inspiration from the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness preparing for his calling, preparing for public ministry. So for the last five or six episodes or so, we focused on Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 19, which is a story of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. As we continue this season of preparing, we're simply asking the question, how do we prepare for more life, more of the resurrection power, more of the presence of Christ? How do we prepare? That's really what this season is all about. Well, well, first, let me make a very clear distinction between training hard and trying hard. Training hard is preparation. Life change comes from training hard, not trying hard. (laughs) Imagine me going out and saying, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. I know that is extremely difficult to imagine that. (laughs) I'm not a runner. Marathons are not on my bucket list. Maybe my kick the bucket list. In other words, it's one of the things I want to do after I die, not before. But that's why this illustration works. Imagine that I decide I want to run a marathon, but instead of training hard, I just wait till the day of and then try really hard. (laughs) How do you suppose that's going to go? See, if we want to change our lives, if we want to change our souls, if we want life to be different, we we have to train. What's happened to so many of us, I, I think, is that we've seen how we should be. And so we go out and try really, really hard. We're we're sincere, we're trying, and and then we fail. And if we fail often enough, well, we get discouraged. So much so that we begin to question, maybe maybe I can't change. Maybe God won't help me. Maybe I just can't. I'm going to be stuck here forever. And we quit trying because we never started training. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, everyone who is fully trained will become like his master. Train yourself in godliness, says Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 7. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, whoever practices, and and I know to some extent he's just saying whoever does these things, but the word practice is good. Whoever practices these things will be like someone who builds their house on a rock. When the storms come, their house will still stand strong. For the So for the next handful of episodes, we're going to look at, I, I would call, call them three families of practices. We sometimes call them disciplines, spiritual disciplines, but at the very heart, they're simply ways to practice, to train hard, to see life change come by training. All, all three types of training are things that are often emphasized during the season of Lent. Fasting, generosity, and repentance. Fasting, almsgiving is how you see it sometimes when you look up Lent, and, and repentance or confession. So so I'm, I'm going to talk about those three families of practices and with these words. We're going to talk about giving up, giving away, and giving in. Giving up, giving away, and giving in. And we'll be talking about those three practices for the next, I don't know, 10 to 15 plus episodes. We're going to start with fasting. I call that giving up. So listen in as I read a little bit. That's what we do in the More Than Bread podcast. We we got to start with scripture. So as I, I read just a bit from the words of Jesus, first in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says to the people listening, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. 
Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face. In other words, look good, look normal. Verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. And then from Mark chapter 2, verses 8, I don't know, going on through, it says now 18 through 22, I think. Mark 2, 18 through 22, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not? Here was Jesus' answer. Verse 19, he says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he, while the bridegroom is with him? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So basically, Jesus is first saying, when you fast, don't do it to get points with others. And when you fast, it's it's all about the, the presence of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's he's talking about himself. When when you sense the presence of Jesus, there's no need to fast. But when you sense the absence of the presence of Jesus, then it's time to fast. And then that whole kind of mysterious part of unshrunk claws and old garments and new pieces and wineskins and old wineskins and new wine and all of that, really what that's saying is another time to fast is when you're when, when you're trying to start something new. So the presence of Jesus and something new. Keep that in mind. So it's hard to talk about fasting, I think, without first talking about hunger. What does it mean to hunger? Well, there's a, a metaphorical sense, right? Ambition, strong desire, driving pursuit, a passionate force within our soul. I really want it. I'll sacrifice to get it. Let me take it a little bit further because to hunger also has a literal meaning. This is a biological word concerning life and death issues. If I, if I don't eat, sooner or later, I will die. To hunger after something is different from, well, you know, it'd be nice. <laughs> if it wasn't too big a deal, I guess I could take the time to get it. If someone gave it to me, I, I, sure, that would be nice. But on the other hand, maybe I can wait. No, to, to hunger for something is more than I wish. It's more like if I don't get it, I'm going to die. I think it's the life. It's life or the source of life. I'll do anything to get it, everything to protect it. And, and I just suggest to you that everyone hungers. It's a God thing. It's, it's how he created us with built-in desire. Something in our hearts tells us there's more, right? We're preparing for more. Something in our hearts tells us there's more. Hunger is simply the God-caused cries of our hearts to be satisfied. Question isn't, are we hungry? The question is, what are we hungry for? And that's a really significant question to answer. In reality, the answer to that question sets the course of our life because what we hunger for more for most is what we pursue. Name your hunger. Some are hungry for acceptance, to be seen, safe and soothed, belonging, identity, attachment, security. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 was hungry for community. John D. Rockefeller Sr., one of the richest men in history, was once asked how much money it takes to make a man happy. Rockefeller's famous reply was just a little bit more. (laughs) Name your greatest hunger. 
comfort, relationships, success, intimacy, winning, popularity, prestige. I mean, whatever that greatest hunger is, when you do just about anything to see that hunger satisfied. See, in that way, that hunger directs my life. What, what am I pursuing? If it isn't God, I'm headed in the wrong direction. In Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, the psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Even Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 3 said, eternal life is found through knowing God. All of them are saying what our hearts are hungry for is God. Jesus was hungry for God. In his book, A Hunger for God, which is really a pretty good primer on fasting, John Piper writes, one might think that those who feast most often on communion with God are the least hungry, but paradoxically, the opposite is the case. The strongest, most mature Christians I have ever met are also the hungriest for God. Jesus was hungry for God. He knew that only God could satisfy the deepest longings of his soul. In fact, we see it in the parables. What, what did he say in Matthew 13, 44? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And, and, and what does the guy do? He gets rid of everything. Gets rid of everything that he has. Sells everything he has brings together all the resources that he have to buy the field so that he can have the treasure. He is hungry. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he finds that one pearl of great price, what does he do? He, he brings together all of his resources, gives everything that he has in order to have that pearl. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, it was all about the presence of God. In John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34, the disciples were trying to get Jesus to take a lunch break. And Jesus said, I, I have food that you don't know about. They said, who, who brought him food? <laughs> he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Maybe you're someone right now who's thinking, I, I don't know. Dan, I, I, I kind of like where I'm eating. I'm satisfied with what I'm full of. And I got to tell you, I have no ability to make unhungry people hungry. All I can say is that when you finally figure out that you're feasting on mud pies, then, then let's talk. And on the other hand, maybe you're someone who has it all, a dream job, beautiful kids, the best marriage, and a gnawing feeling of absolute emptiness. You're, you're hoping that maybe there's something more. And if you're that person, then Jesus says to you, it's, it's time to get hungry. It's time to allow a holy discontent to rise up in your guts. So, so you might ask, well, then, Dan, how do I get hungry for God? How do I practice? How do I train my heart to hunger for God? Well, the, I'll get to the fasting part, but I, I would say one thing. I've always found this to, to be true. Surround yourself with hungry people. And I got a number of people like that here at Calvary, people in my past. Surround yourself with hungry people. That kind of hunger is infectious. Surround yourself with people who hang out with Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> he was hungry. So just ask yourself, who do I know 
who seems to be hungry for God. I think a second thing is I have to acknowledge my emptiness. The woman at the well story in John chapter 4, the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. You know, listen, if if our goodness keeps us from seeing our emptiness, then, then we need to repent. We, we need to we need to give up. Everything that I've used to fill my life apart from God is really emptiness. I, I think another part of that, kind of like a second part to the acknowledging my emptiness, is sometimes we need to empty out our fullness. The the only weapon that will beat desire is greater desire. John Piper, again, in that book, A Hunger for God, he said, if you don't feel strong desires for God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There is no room for the great. In Luke chapter 14, a a parable of a dinner at God's table is being told and 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 they're having troubles finding gifts, guests, excuse me, for the table of God. And in verses 18 through 20, we read, but they all began to make excuses. Everybody invited to the table began to make excuses. The first said, I, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married. I can't come. <laughs> I mean, for all the ill, all the evil that Satan can do to us. In the end, what keeps people from the banquet table of God's love is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a spouse. See, there's there's something here about sacrifice, the sacrifice of self. Jesus isn't saying that we have to give up life. He's not saying that land, our careers, or our family, are they're bad things. He's simply saying, don't go to those things to find life. Don't let those things keep you from God. It's kind of like what Paul is saying in Philippians 3.8 when he says, everything is rubbish compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus. See, sometimes there is a great treasure that we struggle to give to God, but but let's be honest, sometimes our souls are stuffed with small things, sometimes good things, that there's just no room for the great things, the one great thing, and God did not create you for this. There, There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. And so I'm, I'm just saying, here's one way to awaken that hunger a hunger for more of God's presence, a hunger for more of God's purposes at work in your life, a hunger for more of God's power, a hunger for a move of God, and and the way is is fasting. Fasting brings me to the point where I can acknowledge my emptiness. Fasting is a process whereby I empty myself of my fullness to make room for God. Fasting is a way of saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've allowed so many other things to satisfy the hunger in my heart. I'm sorry that I've turned to so many other neutra gods to delight my taste buds. So I'm I'm giving up all the junk food. God, I just want you. Fasting is a way of saying, Jesus, I'm hungry for you, and I want you to deepen my hunger even more. Fasting is not a spiritual hunger strike. We don't hold God hostage. Fasting reveals fake fullness and increases spiritual hunger. It, It sharpens our focus and even adds urgency to our prayers. I found in my life that it tenderizes my hard heart. Fasting hasn't had all that great a press in the last hundred years or so. I mean, what do you think of when you think of fasting or fasters? 
Well, let's just clear up a little bit of misinformation and misconceptions about fasting. First of all, it's placed. Did you realize there are more verses on fasting in the Bible than there are on baptism? (laughs) So, Dan, are you saying that fasting is more important than baptism? No, but I am saying it is important. In fact, by the time of Jesus, fasting was a major tradition. Pharisees fasted two times a week. Numerous biblical examples. Moses, Jehoshaphat, Esther's people, Jesus, Paul, Nehemiah, Jonah, the city that that Jonah went to. I mean, with that said, fasting is not a command for us today. It's not standard equipment. You could say it's one of the options. But when Jesus spoke of fasting in Matthew 6, he said, when you fast, not if. And it's really hard for me to get away from that. When? Jesus assumed that we would fast. Why? Because just like giving and prayer, fasting can be such a powerful vehicle, a a training exercise on the road to knowing God and living a life like Jesus. John Calvin, one of the great leaders of the, the church centuries ago, once wrote, many for want of knowing its usefulness have undervalued its necessity in talking about fasting. What about today? The Korean church First Protestant church in 1884 today, there's over 30,000 Korean Protestant churches. That's about 300 new churches a year for 100 years. And, and you know what? Fasting has been such an important part of their training, their mission. In, in America, when I was in college, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, it was, it was the only book that I could find, only one chapter on fasting. Today, that's a bit different. There, there are more books. Bill Bright from Campus Crusade kind of popularized even the idea of a 40-day fast. I, I've been on numerous 40-day fasts. Now, there are different types of fasts. There's a normal fast, which is going without food for a definite period of time, during which you bring in, take in only liquids, maybe water or juice. Most typical is one day, but many have gone on more, some as much as 40 days. There's the partial fast, one that omits certain foods or is on a schedule that includes limited eating, like one meal a day or only vegetables, intermittent fasting, you've heard of that. There are other, other kinds of fasts as well. Rising early to pray is a kind of fast, fasting from sleep. Or how about fasting from, from uh, the, the internet or social media or TV or movies? Paul talks about fasting from sex. <laughs> if you're not married, refraining from sex doesn't count as fasting. It's just called obedience. Why is it that we've misplaced our, our emphasis, our practice of fasting in America today? I think for a lot of us, we've just kind of said, well, fasting is only for really religious people. Fasting in America and other prosperous nations is almost incomprehensible because we're brainwashed by this consumer culture that says, if it feels good, do it now. Instead of, I think, therefore exist, it's I have, therefore I am. Some of us have misplaced fasting because we don't understand the process or the purpose You know, there's a lot of good books out there. Bill Bright, Elmer Towns, John Piper. As in any discipline, start slow. You're not trying hard, you're training. Talk to someone who fasts. Find out about the process, how you'll feel, what you should do. What is the purpose of fasting? It's not to gain points with people or with God, although some of the most incredible answers to prayer are answers I've received on the other side of fasting. But fasting is is practice. It's training. Training for what? It's training for a hunger for God that will only be satisfied with God. 
So the ultimate reward is a feast of his presence. I think sometimes today it, it makes more sense to fast from something other than food. In, in Jesus' day, in Old Testament times, when, when people would fast from food, they would open up copious amounts of time in their day. There was no fast food. There was no McDonald's. So fasting was not just a, a hunger reminder of the fact that I don't just hunger for food. I hunger for Jesus. I hunger for God. Fasting was also an opening up of time to which you could devote the pursuit of God. The ultimate reward is a feast of his presence. One of the greatest revivals in history took place in a city called Nineveh, right? Almost everyone knows the story of Jonah and the well. Those who are skeptical of the miraculous focus on the question of how a well could do that, that doesn't even turn my head. My head is turned by the story of an incredibly corrupt city that heard Jonah's message, fasted and prayed for three days, and saw a whole city transformed by the presence of God. There's so many biblical, historical, and contemporary examples of what God has accomplished through people in response to fasting and prayer. Down through the years when people have longed for more, more of God, more of God's presence and purposes and power, they've fasted. They've fasted and prayed, and they've cried out, oh God, this much we need you, this much we want you. Now, I believe that we're at one of those critical junctures in the life of our church now. And I really encourage you, it might not be a bad time to practice our hunger for God by fasting. I remember the summer after my freshman year in college, I met Lynn in February. She left me in May. She didn't know it at the time, but I knew that she was the one. I was in love. When she left, I think I lost 25 pounds over the summer. I was heart sick for Lynn. I just didn't, just didn't want to eat, <laughs> which was really a good thing since I didn't have any money to eat. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? The one you love leaves you. See, the birthplace of Christian fasting is heart sickness for God. Fasting is a practice of going after God with a passion of a heart hungry for God. Fasting is what we do when we sense the absence of his presence and we're hungry for more. So let me encourage you to consider some fasting in these next few weeks. And see what God might do to increase the hunger of your heart for him. God, I I just pray that that each and every one of us listen, that that by your spirit, you just kind of lead us and guide us in this area of fasting. And in the, the episodes to come, as we talk a bit more about fasting, God, if there's something that you want us to do, may our hearts be open to it and to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.